so can you all hear me? There we go. Uh, one of the most profound sermons I've ever heard in my life that had equally as profound a title. It's called Lion-Hearted and Lamb-Like. It was by Pastor John Piper. It's on men's leadership role in the home. Well worth looking up later. Lion-Hearted and Lamb-Like by John Piper. But as we begin the book of Titus, we're going to see right away both from Paul and his description of elders, shepherds, leaders of the church, that those two qualities are true about Paul and should be true about elders. Profound humility, servanthood, gentleness, compassion, lamb-like, and yet profound strength. Willing to enter hard situations and be bold, lion-hearted. So if you have a Bible, if you'd turn with me to Titus. It's just a, uh, a little book. It's right after First and Second Timothy. Um, and this is a continuation of a series we started this summer and into the fall where we went through First Timothy. And these are called the pastoral epistles or the pastoral letters. And they're letters that Paul wrote to pastors. And so it gives us blueprints for our church family because he's writing literally to, to churches and to young pastors of churches. And so there's just a lot of great crossover to really help us as a church family ourselves. So if you'll start with me in Titus 1 verse 1, we're going to see first in the first three verses, we're going to learn about the author of the letter, Paul. Titus 1, 1, and I'll be using the CSB. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. In his own time, he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I am entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So Paul opens and introduces himself first and foremost by calling himself a servant of God. Or other translations will say bond servant of God. Now, if you go into the cultural context, a bond servant was someone who was a willing slave. They loved their master. It wasn't slavery like we think of in our early history as a nation. This was a good situation by and large. And so Paul's first description of himself is that of someone who willingly serves. Paul's been set free from sin and death by Jesus Christ and he turns then out of love for God and he freely serves him. And that is what we are called to as believers as well, to be bond servants, to be willing slaves, servants of Christ in response to his great love, the freedom that we have received from him, even though we don't deserve it. And so what frees Paul to willingly serve so freely is that he's promised eternal life. Verse 2, in the hope of eternal life that God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. You see, all true servanthood is actually born out of deep security. Paul knew who he was, and he was God's, and he was sure of that hope. Paul was secure eternally. 
And so I just, I just want to ask you for a second. Are you eternally secure? You know, some people think, even, even believers think, wow, that's kind of arrogant. You can't actually know for sure if you're going to be in eternity in heaven with Christ and that you are for sure his. And I would just tell you today, that's not arrogant at all. That's root, and here's why it's not arrogant. It's rooted in Christ's work, not in your works. See, Paul finds his eternal security in Christ because, as it says, he cannot lie. He promised this before time began. It's rooted in Christ's work. Eternal security frees you, actually, to be not arrogant, but humble. Don't doubt for a second longer. If you have repented of your sin and believed in Christ, you don't have to wonder what's going to happen to you. You don't have to go, well, it's up to God. Yeah, it is up to God. And God has said, if you repent and believe in him, you're his. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Find hope and assurance and security in that. So that's what Paul does. And so here... Paul is a willing, secure servant of God, but he's also a profoundly bold leader. He's lamb-like, but he is lion-hearted as well. He, the next description he has of himself in verse 1 is that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul's humble servanthood doesn't negate his leadership role. He's an apostle. An apostle is someone who is God's mouthpiece, much like in the Old Testament, the prophet's. Now, the qualifications, and I'm not going to go into all the details. I could show you this later if you'd like me to. But all the, the qualifications to be an apostle is someone who saw the resurrected Christ and then was commissioned by Christ himself. And we see in the book of Acts that this happens to Paul on the road to Damascus. So this is why Titus is included in Scripture. It's written by Paul, who is an apostle. He's God's mouthpiece to Titus and to us today. In verse 3 it says, In his own time he has revealed his word in the preaching with which I was entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So here in verse 3, Paul understands that he's entrusted with God's very words. And he doesn't take this lightly at all. Titus and anyone reading this should pay close attention because this is not just a mere letter from one person to another person. This is God's very words. And Paul knows it. So what was the whole goal? What was the whole purpose of Paul's servanthood and his his apostleship? Well, the end of verse 1 tells us, for the faith of God's elect. Paul was both the servant of God and a mouthpiece of God so that those who God had chosen, his elect, would believe in him, have faith. Acts 13, 48 says it like this. All who have been appointed to eternal life believed. Now we might think, well, if God elected them, if God chose them, they were going to believe anyway, so why would they need Paul to even share the gospel with them? Well, Paul's, here's the deal. God's primary method for calling people is people sharing the gospel with them. God's sovereign over both who he calls and how he calls them. So while we aren't apostles like Paul, we don't speak for God, we don't write letters and it's in scripture suddenly. No, that's that's not our calling. That was Paul's. 
But we, like Paul, serve other people. And we are called to share God's word with other people. And we do this so that hopefully others would believe in him. And if, if you think about it, someone shared the gospel with you. If you are in Christ, someone at some point shared the gospel with you. They did it for the faith of God's elect, for you. Now sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking that there's no point in sharing the gospel with other people because, well, like it says here, if, if God has some elect people who he's going to save no matter what, then what's the point? If God's going to save them because he chose them before time began, then does it make any difference if I share the gospel or not? God's going to save them somehow with or without me. But that line of thinking misses the point altogether. God used Paul to lead others to faith in Christ. And God uses people like you and me to lead others to faith in Christ. If you've ever shared the gospel with anyone and had the privilege of them in that moment, turning from their sin and trusting in Christ, you know how powerful an experience that is. You know how incredible that is. They went from eternal death to eternal life in a moment. Think of the joy you're missing out on by passing, out on, passing up on opportunities to share the gospel. So that was, that was the first of Paul's big goals in serving Christ, is that others would place their faith in Christ. But his second goal is found at the end of verse 1 as well, that there, the elects, the chosen, the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So Paul doesn't simply do ministry so that people would believe in Christ initially. Paul does ministry to help people grow in their relationship with Christ. To help them grow in their understanding of the truth of God's word. Paul saw how absolutely essential growth is. Growth in knowledge. We must grow in our understanding of God. That's theology. It's kind of a scary word sometimes for people. Theology is the study of God. We need to grow in our knowledge of who God is. Failure to help people grow in their knowledge sets people up to be deceived. We live in a culture and there is a devil in this world that just seeks to sweep people away with subtle lies every day, all the time. And Paul knew that, so he fed them the truth, and we must feed ourselves the truth together, the Word of God. So here at Stonebridge, formal ways that we do this is right now. Why do we preach and teach God's Word every week? Well, because we believe, just like Paul, that we need to grow in our knowledge of the truth. We have Bible studies that Heather was just talking about. We have men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. Men, go to a Bible study. Understand the truth about God. It's important not just to come to know Christ. Paul's saying here, my mission is not just to help people trust in Christ initially. It's to help them actually grow in godliness. It's just as important. Women, if you're here, get in a Bible study. Help Help other people and help yourself understand the truth. Paul saw how absolutely essential growth was. But not just in your understanding, but also growth, it says, in godliness. And actually living out 
the truths found in God's word. Actually living a life that honors Jesus. It's not enough just to know facts about God. We must act on them and let them change our whole lives. And so here at Stonebridge, we we try to do this functionally through connection groups. The main goal of our connection groups outside of connecting with one another is to open up God's word that was taught on Sunday. And essentially, we just ask this question every week, obviously with different questions, but we just ask, how can we live this out together this week? How can we put feet to this? We don't want to just be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word to grow in godliness. You know, pre, pre-COVID, our church had more people coming than it does now. That's just true. But here's the deal. As I look back, I think that we were probably so focused on reaching people, at just getting people to come through the door on a Sunday morning, that I'm not certain we were so hot at helping people grow. Lots of butts and seats on Sunday doesn't mean a church is healthy. Today, though, our groups are growing, and many of them are very full. Today, we both want to reach people for Christ and help them grow in following Christ. And it's not that we weren't focused on that before. I just think we're, we're in a way more balanced place now, and that's good and healthy and right. And certainly we have room to grow in these things, but I just want to throw out some numbers. So last year, we had 75% of our Sunday morning attendance in groups, connection groups or Bible studies. And praise God for that. That's fantastic. And so as elders, we've set a goal this year to get that up to 85%. I think those are the numbers that really matter. Anybody can do some gimmicks to get people into a room. We want to help people actually come to know Christ and have their whole lives changed by Christ. And so we're excited. I I think we're going to see that number just shoot up, and we are already. But Paul here, he sets an incredible example of what life following Jesus should look like. To be lamb-like, to have an attitude of humble service to King Jesus, but yet to be lion-hearted, to have an approach of confidence in doing the things that God has called us to do. And his focus is, is to share the gospel with others. His focus is helping others know more about God and his good ways. And his focus is helping others live out God's good ways. So there's Paul. There's the author of this letter. Now let's turn our attention to the recipient of this letter, Titus. Verses four and five. To Titus, My true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. The reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. So who's Titus? Who is this guy? Honestly, we don't know much about this guy outside of what we just learned in this book of Titus. Now, it's believed that Paul started a church in, on the island of Crete after his first stint in prison. And he left Titus there to continue that work of building that church up and planting other churches in, on the island of Crete. There's no accounts in Acts. Uh, often with, with other books, you have accounts in Acts that point to this person. None in there. 
And so we just don't have a lot of detail. But Titus clearly was a trusted leader that Paul put in charge when he left. Now, where is Crete? What's Crete? Well, it's a big island off the coast of modern-day Greece and Turkey. And it's a large island that had many cities at the time. And so that means it had many cities that needed churches and that needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's Titus's job. It says it in verse 5. It was to finish the work of planting healthy churches that Paul started. So how do you begin the work of planting churches? You raise up leaders. You raise up elders, shepherds, pastors, one and the same. And that leads us to verses 6 through 9 on biblical qualifications for elders. Verse 6, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. A lot in there. But it says elder. Elder is translated pastor, bishop, translated all sorts of things. But an elder is the primary leading shepherd of a local church. In our context, our elders are shepherds, the leaders of our church. They're not church board members just making decisions in isolation. They're not just teaching the word from up front on Sunday. They're not old guys called in to crack the whip when people are out of line. We have a view of elders as pastors here at Stonebridge Church. I'm paid as an elder to lead the way and do the bulk of the teaching. But all of us as elders are pastors slash shepherds of this church family. So Tim Ellis, Randy Shaver, Kevin Lambert, and Dave Niebel, and myself, we need to view all of them as our pastors as much as you, as you view me as your pastor. In 1 Timothy 3 this summer, verses 1 through 7, we went into depth about the character qualities for elders and shepherds. And we saw that they're to be self-controlled and sensible and respectable and hospitable. And they need to be those things both in their home and within the church. And we saw how character is more important than competent when it comes to being an elder. And we see that in this passage in Titus as well. The character is what really shines. But today I want to come at it from a different angle and go into depth on the roles of elders. What is an elder slash shepherd slash pastor supposed to do? Well, they're to lead the flock. They're to care for the flock. They're to, to protect the flock and to feed the flock. And Alexander Strock wrote a book called Biblical Eldership, which was instrumental to helping me understand this. But to lead the flock, verse 7, it says, as an overseer of God's household. Titus had to train up men who could oversee God's household well. He had to find guys who could lead. Now there's two focuses here in this verse. The, 
the household or the church family is God's. Therefore, elders are to be good stewards of that family. They're entrusted with leading something that isn't theirs. It's God's. But there's also a focus here that, there's, that, that they are still called to oversee, or as some translations say, to manage the household of God. We see immediately a similar call for elders as what Paul had for himself in his own ministry, lion-hearted and lamb-like, an approach of confidence in managing the flock well, but yet an attitude of humble service to Jesus. I'm, I'm a mere steward. He is in charge, and I'm an under-shepherd. So elders are called to be humble servants of God and his household, and elders are called to be strong leaders of his household. Both were present in Jesus' earthly ministry. Both were present in Paul's ministry, and both must be present in in any elder's ministry if it's going to be effective. At Stonebridge... Elders' leadership is shown practically through casting big picture vision for our church. Some very practical examples. Recently, we decided to pursue searching for an associate pastor. And that process has been going well. You can pray for us for, to be led to the right person. Some great candidates right now, but just pray for wisdom with that and guidance. Another example is just setting goals like the one I mentioned a little earlier. We want to be more intentional and get more people into groups. And you might think at this point, you know, okay, well, there's, there's the role of the elders. Then why do we have paid staff? Well, we say it like this. Staff exists to execute the vision of the elders. So most of our elders outside of my house, myself, so right now all of our elders outside of myself have full-time jobs. And so, very practically, day to day, all right, we have staff so they can execute the vision that the elders have. And then, but not just the staff, then we ask for volunteers to help with things so we can really be the body. It's not just the staff's responsibility, it's the whole church's responsibility to carry out the vision that God has given the elders. So elders are called to lead the flock, first and foremost, and then they're called to care for the flock. Verse 6 says, being hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled. Hospitable. They're not simply making decisions, but they're making people feel at home. That's what it means to be hospitable. Hospitable isn't merely having someone over to your house, although it could include that. Being hospitable is being warm and welcoming in general. You can be hospitable when you're at someone else's house. It's someone who's easy to be around that makes you feel comfortable in your own skin. So that's part of caring for the flock, being hospitable. James calls for elders to be in the trenches caring for people by by very practically praying for the sick. James 5.14, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You need to be caring for people. And so here at our church, this is why a prerequisite to being an elder is that you're already actively caring for people in our church. Ideally, you're leading a connection group or a Bible study and demonstrating caring for people well. How can you care for the whole flock if you're not already doing it 
with a few people in the flock. It becomes really dangerous when guys start leading a church who aren't already actively caring for the flock. So they're to lead, they're to care, and they're to protect. Protect the flock from false teaching and disunity. Verse 9, holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. So they're to protect the flock by refuting false teaching. Titus was called to find guys who know the truth of God's word. You can't protect against false teaching, though, if you don't know what true teaching is. And so Paul, when setting in place elders in Ephesus, said this to them in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 31. He said, Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert. You hear that over and over. Be on the alert. Protect, protect, protect. Elders must be on high alert for false teaching from all angles. And today, as much as ever, it's foundational to have the truths of Scripture embedded in our lives because the truth is under fire. The clear teaching of the Bible on marriage, on gender, on sex, on identity are all under blatant attack and scrutiny, even from within the church. We must be on high alert as elders and humbly but yet firmly hold fast to what is true. But we're not just to protect the flock from false teaching. We're also to protect the flock from disunity. Elders are called to help people work through conflict and tension and do so with the biblical principles we find from Jesus in Matthew 18 and from Galatians 6 and other passages. A fair amount of being an elder is helping people work through conflict. This protects the flock from bitterness, protects the flock from disunity, which helps protect our witness to the whole world. If we can't figure out how to work through conflict, quite frankly, who can? Jesus prayed in John 17, 23, I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me. So he's saying our ability to work through things proves that Jesus is real. Otherwise, people look at us and go, wow, you guys, you guys are just fighting with one another? That's what we do over here. No difference. Jesus makes no difference in your lives. Why would I want him? Our ability to work through things points to Jesus' reconciling, relationship-restoring work on the cross. And so right now at Stonebridge, let me, let me just brag on our elders for a second. They're really good at protecting us from disunity. They have both the humility and the strength necessary to navigate rough water and have shown it. Even when there is the inevitable trials and tension that happen in a church family, 
These guys have demonstrated profound Christ-like ability to protect our whole flock. And I am so grateful and honored to serve alongside these guys. And you should be honored to be served by them. Unfortunately, that's not all that common within churches. So they're called to lead, to care, to protect, and lastly, to feed the flock God's word. Verse 9, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. So it's not merely refuting false teaching. It's encouraging sound, faithful teaching. Regularly feeding the flock the truth, the word of God. And for those in Crete, where Titus was training up elders, this would have been the Old Testament as we know it now. This would have been Paul's writings. But today, we've got the whole Bible, the whole counsel of God in front of us. So if elders and shepherds are not giving people a steady diet of God's word, they're going to starve spiritually. This is why we preach through books of the Bible verse by verse here. What you need is the Bible. What you need is God's word, not Matt's or anybody else's. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why as elders we study and discuss the scriptures together before they're preached. This is why we, myself or whoever's preaching sends sermon outlines that are reviewed by the elders before they ever are preached here on a Sunday morning. We have a responsibility to feed you the word of God and we take that incredibly seriously. And any elder or church that doesn't take that serious, you should run away. This happens, of course, more informally in elders' lives as people talk to us about trials and challenges and sticky situations in their lives. We're always trying to point them to the truth of God's word and counsel them with what is true from God's word and help them. We're called to feed the flock God's word. So, roles of an elder. Lead the flock, care for the flock, protect the flock from false teaching and disunity, and to feed the flock God's word. Now, you may be sitting here this morning, maybe even checked out a little bit, so I'm trying to wake you up right now. All right? Listen in. I'm almost done, I promise. Everyone here leads someone. All of you have influence over someone else in your life. And you may not have even realized that until I just told you that. Everyone here is a leader. You may not want to be, but you are. You have influence on people in your life. And so you might be sitting here and go, I'm not an elder. Why does this matter to me? Be an elder in training, even if you never become one, because we are called, just like Christ, we're called to be like Christ, to be lion-hearted and lamb-like. Your role, whatever it is in someone else's life, as you have influence on them, your role as a father, as a mother, as a boss, as a mentor, as a friend, whatever the relationship is, your role is to be a Christ-like leader in their life. Are you being both humble and bold with that influence over them? See, what our church and our world both need today is Christ-like leaders who are willing to be both gentle and respectful and strong. This was Jesus. This is Jesus. Lion-hearted and lamb-like. Strong enough 
to call the religious leaders out on their hypocrisy, yet humble enough to come as a baby and be crucified in our place. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith this week, to empower you by the Holy Spirit to lead others in a lion-hearted, yet lamb-like fashion. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your example. We thank you for your power and strength and sovereignty. And we thank you for your humility and gentleness and lowliness. And we pray that you would give us the grace to emulate that. Lord, I I pray for those in here who really don't see themselves as leaders. Who really don't. Maybe they didn't even think of themselves as a leader until right now this morning. I pray that they they would take their responsibility really seriously and start to show you to those around them. And I thank you, Lord, for our elders here. Give them strength, give them wisdom, give them grace. And I pray for those who, are, who will be elders in the future. Help them to feel the weight of this calling. That they would take it very seriously and lead like you lead, Lord. And we thank you for your grace with us in the process. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.